All right, you guys can have a seat. Thank you, worship team. That, that song is, is, is amazing and is perfectly fitting to, to bring us into this, this series that we've started. We started it last week. We're talking about the Trinity. And uh, if you don't know what the Trinity is, uh, maybe you're a guest here today and you, it's your first time, we're talking about the nature of God and that God is three in one. That's what that word means. And sometimes that this can be troubling to people because it almost seems like it's contradictory. But last week we talked about the Trinity is not a contradiction, it's a paradox. A contradiction is when two uh, two ideas or sentences uh, cancel each other out because they're opposing ideas. That's what's contradictory, but a paradox is more along the lines of something that seems like it's contradictory, but it's delivering an inherent truth. And for us, that's what the Trinity helps us to understand. This is our definition. There is one God who exists eternally in three persons. And today I want to deal with the oneness of God. I think we have a struggle when we're thinking about the Trinity, when we're thinking about who God is and that he's three in one. We're trying to separate being and personhood, okay? And this is where I think we get caught up because we are one being and yet one person, right? But I want you to understand that being a person and being a being are different things. Like a rock is a being, right? A chair has being, but it does not have a personality. It does not have personhood, okay? And so for us, we need to understand that just because the Bible says that there are three personhoods in one God doesn't mean that that's not possible. It just means that we can't fully comprehend it. And that is the wonder of God. And so with today and with this series, the goal is, is to get to know God more fully, to understand him more deeply and let that change us then from the inside out as we understand him, as we get to know him. That's what you do when you love someone. You get to know more information about them. You grow closer to them. And we do that by studying who he is. That's what theology means, is study the study of God, right? And the doctrine of the Trinity is a part of our theology. We believe that God exists as one being, but he has three personhoods in him, okay? Now, I want to say this is important to say that he is one God because that is what monotheism is, okay? Theism is the belief in God. Theos means God, okay? Belief in God, mono, add any word to that. Polytheism is multiple or many gods. Atheism is no God, right? Um, and monotheism then is one God. And the Christian faith is a monotheistic faith. And the Bible preaches monotheism. That's what we believe. But there's this paradox that we have to deal with as we study um, about God's nature and in his word, just let me remind you this, this isn't some suggestion that we got 325 years later after Christ came. We get this from scripture, okay? But, but just so you know, the canon of scripture, the Bible, the Old and New Testament, it wasn't really actually compiled until around that time for us to have in the first place. So it makes sense that as people had all of Scripture compiled together and they studied it, they started to realize we've got to figure out how to talk about God because it says that Jesus is God and it says that the Spirit is God and it says the Father is God, but yet it also says there's only one God. And so 
for us, we've got to get this right if we want to know God. He is jealous about the information that we believe about him. And I'm going to tell you that what you believe about God determines how you act in the world. It determines the choices you make. And it will ultimately determine your eternal destiny. And so while this might be some kind of a you know, fun out there topic, I want you to recognize this is important. One of the doctrines that considers you, whether you're in the church, whether you are in the Christian faith or not. And so it is very important for us to get this right. We can't say that we know God, but yet don't really know anything about him. And that's why we want to do this. It reminds me of a, a verse where God, he, he, he says it's so important that we know him and him alone and we worship him. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's the first one, have no other gods before me. And later on, after he says that, uh, he says this about himself. You must worship no other gods for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Not only is God jealous about you worshiping other things or other gods, we're going to find out there are no other gods. In a monotheistic faith, there are no other gods in the world. But yet... People for, you know, since the beginning of time have wanted to worship other gods that they make up, right? And, and actually in Gen Jeremiah 10, this is, uh, I wanted to read this to you about how God feels about how people make up gods. Um, he's talking about these people. Uh, Their ways are futile and foolish. They cut down a tree and a craftsman carves an idol. They decorate it with gold and sil silver and then fasten it securely with hammer and nails so it won't fall over. Their gods are like helpless scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak and they need to be carried because they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of such gods for they can neither harm you nor do any good because they don't exist. And here's what he says, and this is going to maybe offend you, but... Uh, I'm glad that scripture offends you and, and it's not coming from me, but here's what it says. People who worship idols are stupid and foolish. <laughs> the things they worship are made of wood. This is how God feels about the worship of other gods. First and foremost, logically, they don't exist. So it's just, in his words, foolish. Um, secondly, I believe that not only does God not want us to be foolish and worship made up ideas and concepts about God. He is jealous about the right information about God as well, right? And so we can't say we know God. Um, we can't say we, we know Jesus Christ and we love him. Even if the name Jesus Christ is in the, the title of a church does not mean they know him if they don't have the right information about him. They can say God and Jesus all they want, but if they don't know, have the right information about him, then it's a different God and it's a different Jesus. It's like if you were saying, I know Eric, right? I know Eric, me. He's tall, dark, and handsome, right? And, I, and I'm really only two of those things, not all three. I'll let you decide which two of those things that you think I am. But, right, it's the wrong information about me. So the reality is, is while you might know about me, you don't know me. You don't have a relationship with me. Otherwise, you would know truths about me, some truths. And we can't fully know everything about God, but we should get what we know about God right. Getting Jesus right is very crucial. Getting God right is crucial. He's jealous about his identity. He's jealous about the truth about his nature. He's revealed it to us in scripture. So our preachers and our teachers and our leaders should be teaching us this stuff.
right? So, I want to start off by showing you, let's go back to the Old Testament in history. Uh, Out of the Jewish faith is what comes Christianity, right? God chose the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, uh, to reveal himself to, and out out of that nation comes the Messiah, Jesus himself. And so, let's look at what they believe. The Old Testament has always believed in one God. The Trinity then starts with the concept deeply rooted in the Jewish scriptures that there are only one God. There is only one God. That is the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. If we look at Deuteronomy 6, it's something called the Shema. We've looked at this before. This is basically like a, a, a creed or like the pledge of allegiance, like a creed for us to remember who God is. They recited this all the time in their families, and when they were walking and talking and going to bed, they recited this all the time. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Other translations say the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. So it is very important to understand that the basis and foundation of our faith is monotheism. We believe in one God, that's it. And Jesus carries this on in the New Testament as he, as he quotes the Shema. When he's asked, what's the most important commandment? He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. The teacher, the, the, the teacher of the religious law, the Pharisees, they said, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. So they're, they're confirming that there is only one God. That's why monotheism, understanding what we believe about God is important. There is only one God. Okay? And, but, and even and G- Jesus was Jewish. He came from the Jewish faith. And even Paul, who later writes about who, uh, who Jesus is, adds him to the Shema. And this is where it gets to the point where we have to say, okay, how do we communicate this then, right? 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 5 through 6. They're arguing about food sacrificed to idols. In verse 4, it says, we know there are no other gods. In verse 4, I don't have it up there. We know there's no other gods. These people that are sacrificing food to idols, you can eat that stuff because gods don't exist, right? So they're just laying food out there to these pretend beings. But then he goes on to say, for even if there are, even if there were so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords that people worship and make up, it says, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. Now, The interesting thing about this is that when he says that there's one God and then one Lord, he's doing something that would be considered heresy to the Jewish faith because he's adding Jesus to the basic statement of the Shema that there's only one God, right? But if we go back to that verse I showed you, Jesus himself says, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. In Greek, that's the word kurios, okay? Now, in this verse, Paul uses that same word. There is one Lord. He's referring to God when he says Lord. Now he's referring to, and he is adding Jesus Christ as God in these sentences, right? And so uh, here comes the paradox, right? Okay, the scriptures tell us that Jesus is God, the Father is God, but there's only one God. So it begs, begs the idea and the concept and the doctrine of the Trinity, right? And, and, and also, 
There's a concept inside of the doctrine of the Trinity that we can't really fathom or understand, but it's called eternal sonship. He's always existed eternally as a son, Jesus has, to the Father. And so if he's existed eternally, and what these verses say is that all things exist for him and all things exist through him and by him, we know that in John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1, it says the whole world was created through him in the beginning Jesus was with the Father. There's this eternal sonship going on. Uh, some scholars or theologians call it eternal generation. The Father is eternally begetting the Son, and then with the Spirit also, the Father and the Son are eternally sending out the Spirit. And now it, it's really hard to wrap our minds around. I know there's going to be a lot of information today. Follow me, though. Don't, don't, don't let me lose you. Be passionate about this. Um, there's more and more I, I, I want you to go learn. But if we go back to the Old Testament, there's always been this idea that there's been an eternal son. Proverbs 30, verse 4, who, who but God goes up to heaven and comes back down? Who holds the wind in his fist? Who wraps up the oceans in his cloak? Who has created the whole wide world? What is his name and his son's name? Tell me if you know. This is a thousand years before we knew that Jesus was God's son. So there's always been this theological idea that God is more than one in personhood, even in the Old Testament, all right? But, but, but as Christianity progresses right after the first century, again, it makes sense that we had to come together to talk about these things rightly, to believe in them rightly. And even before the Council of Nicaea, where it was finally solidified that this is how we were going to talk about God, we have letters. I mean, we find this in Scripture, it's in scripture. It's not the suggestion of man or a council. And even in the letters that the, the apostles there's directly mentored in the first and second century, the guys that carried on the Christian faith, they wrote letters confirming the same thing, that they believed that God was one, that Jesus was from God eternally as God, the Son, right? And so there are many doctrines like this that... that Make us get our faith correct, right? There are, there are at least five that I can think of right off the top of my head, like the Trinity itself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or what we're talking about. Jesus is God is very important. Uh, believing that the Bible is sufficient, inerrant, you don't need to add anything to it. You don't take anything away from it. That's the foundation of everything we believe. Once you take, you know, you get rid of the... Um, like some faiths do, try to say that the Bible isn't translated correctly or you can't trust it in certain areas. Well, once you take the foundation of the faith away, you can add whatever you want. That's why that's a very important doctrine for us as Christians. No, the Bible is true. Nobody's ever disproved it. We have manuscripts, thousands of them, to prove that it has been translated correctly up to the 99.9 or 5 percentile. Um, so there's no evidence to say that the Bible has changed over the years. It has not. We have writings since before in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right? So these are, these are very important things. And like I said, what we believe about God then um, determines uh, everything. 
you know. It really does. That's why this is so important, and it's rooted deeply in the foundation of our faith in the Jewish scripture. Scripture is clear that monotheism is the faith of Christianity. We believe in one God, right? The all-knowing God in our scripture says he knows no other God, so it's impossible for there to be other gods. There are faiths and, um, that believe that you can become a god, that there are eternal generations of God, and that simply is not true. That is heresy. And there, also, there is one specific faith that believes in something called tritheism. That means that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all God on their own. They're God, and they became gods that way, and eventually there's going to be more gods coming after that, but that is not true. Scripture does not support that. That is a heresy that misses the oneness of God, teaching that are, there are three distinct gods who work closely together, right? And, no, and really, like I said, this is very minuscule and under the umbrella of what people claim to be Christians, that really we're surrounded by the predominant religion in Utah that believes this. There isn't a whole lot of other religions that I can say are tritheistic, but it really tritheism is just another form of polytheism, which says that there's multiple gods. But right off of the bat, we have to remember there's only one God, so that kind of cancels that whole idea, that whole way of thinking out. Remember, there's a oneness of God that's important. I want to go right to what Jesus says. He says, the Father and I are one. And many people have said, well, this just means that they're one in purpose, right? There's three gods just separate from each other, but they're all working together to do something. But that's, that's not true. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying we are literally one in being. The Father and I are one in being. We carry the same characteristics, the same traits, the same attributes, have the same power and the same authority. And, and, and the Pharisees at this time, if you go on in the story, knew what he was talking about because they picked up stones to stone him. All right? But the Pharisees were blind. They, they couldn't get this. They couldn't grasp this. They couldn't understand this. You know why? Because we need the third member of the Trinity to explain it to us, to illuminate the truth to us. That's what, that's what uh, John in ch chapter 16, verse 13 says. Jesus says the role of the Spirit is to lead us into all truth. Jesus said that, right? And so the Pharisees are blinded by their own pride, by their tradition, by what their families taught them, by religion. But if Jesus is equal to God, claims to be God, is worshipped as God by his apostles and disciples, then he must be God. So then if God has to be one, then there must be more than one personhood inside the being of God. Does that make sense? <laughs> but there is really only one God. We'll go back to the Old Testament scriptures. I got three verses in the book of Isaiah I want you to be able to not just grow closer to God, but I want you to be able to defend your faith and, and share this with other people. So I hope you remember, very closely together in the book of Isaiah, the prophet says this, this is God speaking through him. But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. Yes, I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. 
That's what Jesus' name means, by the way. Yahweh saves. His name, um, Yeshua, is really the, the correct way to say that name. But that's what, that's what Jesus says. I, and even if you go to like the book of Revelation in the New Testament, it says, you know, God is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then it also quotes Jesus saying the same thing. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So again, I know this is tough for our minds to grasp and understand, but the truth remains that God is three in one, and there is only one God. Moving on in Isaiah 44, do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. The all-knowing God of the universe knows no other gods. There is none before him, none after him. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God, and there is none like me. All right, there is one God, and it's important to get this right. This helps us to be able to distinguish between our faith and other faiths that even claim to be Christian, when really Christian is, to be Christian is a monotheistic faith. So it's clear in Scripture, we could go on and on forever, but I do want to end with and leave you with, okay, that's about as much as my brain can, can handle today with the information. What do I do with this, right? Like, how does this help me, right? I mean, because everybody wants to know, what's the practical application of me knowing the Trinity? Um, and, and first and foremost, I want you to know that, again, it helps you to grow closer to God, know more about him, love him, understand his love for you, helps you to defend the faith, but it also makes logical sense that there's only one God. I'm a, I'm a logical person, okay? And, and I know that there's feelings persons out there too, and I need to be, I need to be mindful and sensitive to that. Um, I could grow in the area of understanding my emotions better. Um, but I'm, I'm a logical person, and so like, um, you know, just, you know, for example, I look at what's going on in the world, like, how crazy things are, even in our country, and I feel like we're in the twilight zone and none of it makes logical sense. Does anybody feel that way? Okay, good. <laughs> I'm not alone, right? Thank God that we can gather together and hear truth. In a world full of lies where nobody knows if anybody's telling the truth, we can gather together. There is absolute truth, right? That's why it makes sense that there's only one God, because if there were multiple gods, there'd be all kinds of multiple ways of getting to heaven, multiple ways of knowing a God, multiple ways of understanding certain things, and that just doesn't make logical sense. There is only one truth about how the world came to be. There is one truth about humanity. There's one truth about morality and how God wants us to live, and there is one truth about our eternity. So, the existence of only one God helps us make sense of humanity, morality, and eternity. And like I said, what you believe about God then will, will determine how you live. It will determine what you believe about where we came from, our origins. It will determine who you trust and, and what kind of teachings and things you will listen to and sit under. It will determine, ultimately, how you act how you treat other people, and ultimately your 
eternal destiny. What you believe about God is very important and practical to you and me. I want to show you a piece of scripture. Um, we're talking about, it's in Acts chapter 17. Paul is in this polytheistic town, city in Athens, where they believed in all these different kinds of gods, and there were these temples and monuments and altars to just all these gods. And there's this one, and it says, to the unknown God. And he sees that in the city. His heart is broken by all of this you know, people are confused out there in the world, and I hope you feel that same way. I do, right? That's why uh, I want people to know the truth. But our, my, his heart is broken, and he says, I'm going to use this unknown God altar as a bridge to help them understand something. This is in Acts chapter 17. This is the God who you need to know. The unknown God is the only God who you need to know. God is knowable, and you can find him. So let's read what he goes on. He gets up and now and speaks to this crowd of people. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples in human hands, can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Isn't that amazing then? He is, this answers the question, where did humans come from? How was the earth created? By the one and only God who made everything. There is absolute truth that can be known. Everything isn't relative. It's not your truth is your truth and mine is mine. That's not logical. The only, there's, the only logical thing is that there's only way, one way that this could have happened, right? And Paul tells them it's God himself. He made everything. He set it into motion. He's the uncaused first cause. You know, everything has to have a cause, except for God, because he's eternal. And so he's the uncaused first cause. That explains human origins way better logically than saying, once there was nothing, and out of nothing came everything. We know that logically, nothing cannot make everything. And then people will say, oh, well, it just depends on what you mean by nothing. And it's like, come on, dude. Like, where did, log where did logic go in the world, you know? Anyways, this, this monotheistic faith makes perfect sense in, in humanity, in the origin, origins of humanity. Let's go on. It says, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own prophets have said, or poets have said, we are his offspring. This, this tells us that, look, um, God is knowable. You know, I had to uh, recently move my office from upstairs to downstairs at my house, and kind of sad about it because I had the perfect view out this window, you know, it was like a... A mountain view. It was so inspiring. Now I'm down in this dungeon, you know. And I had to get the uh, router moved. So I called Comcast, and uh, he came and, you know, fixed it and everything. And, and, and he's like, what do you do? I love that question. You know, what, what do you do for work? I'm like, I'm a pastor of a church. And he asked me, how'd that happen? How'd that come about? I'm telling him my story. He tells me his. He says, he was turned off by faith a long time ago, you know, and doesn't know who to trust or what to believe. He's just not sure what he believes about God or if truth can be known, right? Just unsure. That's the 
meaning of agnosticism, right? Agnosticism, which means knowledge, no knowledge of God or no understanding. And, and so I got really excited. I'm like, no, you can know truth. There is truth. It's in his word. And he was like, I got to go, man. Like, you're bugging me. <laughs> He's like, can I get out of here now? And I'm like, wait, you're a sinner and you need Jesus. But that's the, the point is, is that truth is knowable. Even though there's every, a lot of people out there in the world live kind of in a sad, hopeless state that, oh, who knows what's going on? I don't know if I happen by chance or I don't know if the God out there in the universe can be known. Uh, truth can be known and God wants us to know him. He has revealed us, himself to us in scripture through the person of Jesus Christ. And since this is true, I love that, he goes on. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold and silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. You see... God has been patient with the ignorance of people for a long time about believing all kinds of different things. But there will be one day when everybody's going to have to answer for what they believe in and for their sins. And so if there's absolute truth, there's absolute moral truth. Right? Like, it's not just whatever feels right to me. As I was thinking about how to explain personhood, um, I was looking this up, right? What's the difference between a being and a person? Because you can have being, right? You can be a rock or a chair, but not have personhood. What determines a person? And um, it was interesting. I found that people have been thinking about this for a long time, and especially in the area of, you know, laws against abortion. How do you determine if, if a fetus or a child in the womb is, is a person, has character, has personality? Well. Or, or how do you determine, and so from these examples, it kind of enlightened me on how to explain personhood. You know, it's, is, does, does the being, or does the person have feelings, consciousness, uh, the ability to act and move on its own will and volition? Uh, does it have characteristics and uh, traits of, of, of humanity? Of, like, you can't hurt a rock's feelings. You can't uh, lie to a chair, but you can certainly hurt physically. You know, what you punch a rock or throw it, it's not going to be in pain because it doesn't have personhood, right? And as I was thinking about this, I thought about absolute moral truths, and the reality is, is that Scripture is clear on absolute moral truths as well. That means that sexual immorality is a sin, all across the board, over in the entire earth. Any kind of relationship, any kind of sex outside the marriage between a man and a woman is sin, right? Murder of a child, whether unborn or born or an adult, is sin, right? Lying is a sin. Hate is sin. This is all evil. And there, then, th then what I'm saying is, is logically then, we know morality through one God, because if there were more than one God, it would not make sense. It would just be all over the place. But it makes sense that there is 
moral truths that we can find in the person and being of God. He's revealed that to us in Scripture. And so, since there are moral truths, I'll just end with this. Moral absolutes, we've, we've broken those. And so we need that Savior. We need the Trinitarian God who works out our salvation. Uh, ultimately, in the person of Jesus Christ, he came and died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And now we can know this God without the shame and guilt that holds us back from all the burden of guilt that we carry for the things that we do in this life. It's a free gift by grace through faith alone. That is Christianity. What I have revealed to you today is, is, is our faith. And I, my question to you is, will you examine your faith? Will you find out what you believe, right? And if you don't have the right information about God, will you get it? Will you strive for it? Will you pursue God? Will you be a part of a a church who teaches the Bible and encourages you to seek truth and know truth and to defend truth? That's my question. And if you don't know Jesus today, will you put your faith and trust in him first and foremost? Now, I get to, to, to end today's lesson and sermon. We've got something awesome. We've got someone who's going to proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ, and they're going to symbolize and signify uh, their faith in what he did for her. And so Ali um, Butori is going to get baptized today. Um, and it's awesome because um, in, in, in Romans 6.4, let me tell you what the symbolism means from the Bible. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. That's what it symbolizes. When we go down into the water, we're dying with Christ. And we raise up and we say... I'm clean, I'm washed new, and now I'm living for you. That is the profession that Allie's going to make today, and so uh, we've got a quick video of her testimony, then we'll all get to celebrate in watching her do that today. Um, my name is Allie Butori, and I am gonna get baptized. Um, so I have grown up as a Christian my whole life. Um, my mom especially always pushed me to just get to know Christ in more of a personal relationship kind of way. Um, uh, my dad's military, so we've moved all over. So we never really had like a home-based type of church. Um, then we moved to Utah, and this is the longest I've ever lived anywhere. And honestly, ever since being here and coming to Alpine, I've just really my faith has grown exponentially. Um, I do the youth group. I started that when me and my brother moved here. Um, I'm super shy and introverted, so honestly, it was such a struggle to get there and to get going, but the fellowship that I found here has really just pushed me a lot um, to not only grow in Christ in my personal relationship with Him, but with other people. And I think that's really shown me some more important characteristics um, of my faith journey that I'm just super excited about. When it comes to baptism, um, it's actually been such a crazy topic that's been on my heart for a really long time. Um, when we lived in Italy probably about eight years ago, my little brother got baptized. Um, and I remember at that time just kind of struggling because 
I think I was maybe like 12, but I still thought like, well, if he's getting baptized, then like, what's wrong, what's wrong with me? Why, why don't I feel called to do that? So I talked to my mom and we prayed about it and it really just comes down to God's timing and it's different for everyone. Um, a lot of time went by and I was getting more involved with Fusion here and I was mentoring two girls and they both asked me, and we were doing a baptism night, and they both actually asked me to baptize them. Um, I just, I felt so inadequate, and I was like, how can I even do this for other people if I haven't even done it myself? Um, so I just, I talked to God about it, and I dove in as deep as I could, and I watched videos, and I knew, I've always known that my salvation is not baptism that all my salvation is, is faith in a personal relationship with God. But this past year, especially, I've just been pushed in a way that I need more than a relationship with Him. I need to rely solely on Him. Um, I've always been a pretty independent person and, you know, I had some health things go on last month that were super, super, super scary. Um, and the, it actually, the day after I decided to get baptized, um, I was admitted to the hospital and they, they found a mass and, you know, I, I don't know what's in store for me, but I knew in that moment that God is all I need and that I just need to rely so heavily on Him. And, you know, like the symbolism of getting in the water and washing away the sins is just so powerful, but like even more than that, um, just that we were buried through Christ, like in that moment, like taking up our own cross. Um, I just, I felt God pulling on my heart that that was my time to do it. And I'm just super excited to continue to dive deeper um, into His Word and trust Him even more, because there's so much uncertainty, um, I know, in my life. And, Everyone's really, we don't know, but God knows and His plan is perfect. And I think now is a time where I want to proclaim my faith that His plan is perfect for me and that I'm ready to just rely, not just 50% on Him, not just 75, but 110%, just rely and lean into the Lord, my Savior.